The images here could be said to be quite frightening, I think. Uh, For most of us, they are circumstances we would prefer to avoid. And Jesus is not wanting to frighten his disciples. I think that's important to realise. This is not some kind of veiled threat. Rather, he wants his disciples uh, to see clearly that certain things are inevitable. They're coming whether you like it or not. And that's actually something just to be aware of, to be warned of, to be ready for and to be faithful in the midst of. Now the story starts with the disciples looking at the temple and it was beautifully adorned and from all accounts quite a fantastic structure in its day and they were marvelling at it. And it's a funny thing because it's not just the structure itself but it's what the structure represents that's really important. And I know for people, I mean lots of people at the moment have lost homes and possessions in bushfires. And if you think about that for a moment, all the stuff that you have and what it means for you, because much of it actually would be potentially replaceable, if not exactly, but like for like or something. But we invest meaning in particular things. You know, so-and-so gave me that one. Or we picked that up when we were visiting in this place. Or... I remember the party we had and whatever it was and meaning is invested in the physical things and it's more the meaning that's important than the physical thing and I can imagine as they're looking at the temple it is glorious but it means so much. It's a central part of the culture. It orders their year and their life together. It uh, has laws and so forth. It stood as an icon of the patterns and structures and priorities of their life and lifestyle, and it would have been devastating to lose. And certainly the temple did come down. Uh, Just much like when uh, many, many generations earlier, Jerusalem fell to King Nebuchadnezzar, there there must have been a wondering about what does this mean? Because in the days of Nebuchadnezzar, there was a, a theology, basically, because King David was going to be king forever, And they extrapolated from that that his throne in Jerusalem would be inviolable. It would not be able to be overthrown. So the Jews stood in Jerusalem and defied history and said, no, you won't beat us. And miraculous things happened and they survived a very long time. And then Jerusalem fell and the people were taken into exile. And they had to recalibrate all their thinking and understanding of what does it mean for God to be faithful to us when it seems like God has abandoned us. And of course we get the full story and they go through a very uh, deep change and cognitive dissonance that creates opportunities for new ways of thinking. Today we can easily see all manner of crises taking place, challenges that... um, challenge once unchallengeable institutions, as it were. Do you remember a couple of years ago a group of federal politicians challenged a court ruling on something? I can't remember the details of it now, but they actually made public statements saying the judge was wrong. You're not allowed to do that. That's actually an offence against the law. And they had to quickly make apologies. Uh, But once upon a time that would never happen. And here's Leaders, politicians, unwittingly doing it and then realising they had to apologise. 
banks that once existed as pillars in our community and facilitated trade and commerce and so forth, now being challenged at every turn as gouging people and charging fees to those who have died years before and this kind of thing. And there's a sense in which some of these permanent pillars of our society are no longer as strong as we thought they were. Credit rating agencies getting kickbacks from different places and we can't trust their things. Ministers and priests preying on little children in churches. Who can you trust? Many of our institutions have come under incredible challenge and threat. And Jesus warns us that in those circumstances you get a lot of knee-jerk reactions. People standing up saying, it's the end of the world, come and join my group, basically. There'll be all sorts of people popping up and and claiming to be the Christ, claiming to be the saviour, claiming to be the one that can lead you into a safe place that you might avoid all this disaster. I remember back in my days in Manly, there was... um, a young fellow who was very keen on following lots of the prophetic stuff that happened out there. It was as the internet was really getting going and it was easy to hear all sorts of messages from all over the place. And he warned me one time that a big tidal wave was coming to hit the eastern seaboard of Australia. He gave me the date and everything. I said, how do you know this? He said, oh, well, it's on, it's on the internet. This fellow, he's prophesied it and he's been right before. You know, he prophesied that one and this one. Okay, well, let's see what happens, shall we? (laughs) Of course, it didn't happen. And it's too easy to find people who make these knee-jerk reactions and opt for easy solutions in the midst of the upheaval, whether it's populist political movements or extremist religious movements. These are part and parcel of human history. It always happens when there's crisis going on. And Ian and I were talking just before the service actually about how so much of what we see as the extreme example that has never happened before has kind of actually happened before in its context and before that in another context and before that in another context. And Jesus talks about international rivalries, kingdoms against kingdoms, nation against nation. When was that ever not happening. It's always happened. It happens today. It's happened throughout my life. It's happened throughout history. That is the history of humanity. Countries go to war. Groups go to war against each other. Nations rise up against nations. Some of us grew up under the frightening scenarios of the Cold War where I don't know, you can still see them on YouTube, I think, the little videos they would show school children. If there is a nuclear blast, do not look at it. Hide under your school desk <laughs> and kiss your bum goodbye because that's the end. <laughs> but that was a horribly frightening thing, a horribly frightening reality that some of us grew up with. And it's faded into the distance, but it actually still exists. It's the new normal. And... Countries rise up against countries and nations rise up against nations and the whole of reality can feel like it's shifting and shaking. Once unassailable institutions seem to be not so unassailable and things that seem so sturdy seem to be crumbling and the environment of trust that is the social glue that holds society together and helps us to live well is slowly 
being gnawed away at in different ways. And we need to be really careful about that because that brings about very real threats to life and livelihood. Even more than plagues and famines, the loss of trust is the greatest threat to human societies because we have so much capacity to support one another and to overcome adversary, adversity when we work together and help each other. But once trust has evaporated, we feel compelled to look after ourselves as our main priority precisely because the conditions don't exist for us to have confidence that anybody else will be there for us. As drought transforms once bountiful ground into barren wasteland that cannot support life, so the evaporation of trust, I think, does that to communities and societies. Um, a local group in this area are exploring the possibility of combining together to create a solar power farm. So putting solar panels on rooftops, not everybody has a rooftop, so how do they get to join in? Well, you become a cooperative and there's these explorations going on and I was part of a meeting this week where some of that conversation was going on and they cited an example, a local example, where a lot of this work had successfully been done and they were just about to buy some solar panels when something happened and people lost confidence... Is that rain? Sorry, I haven't heard that for such a long time. <laughs> it's raining. Oh, thank you, God. Well done, Anne. <laughs> and now we're wondering, why didn't you do it earlier? No, okay. <laughs> Sorry, back to my story. So they were doing this cooperative with the solar panels and the, the group lost trust in the leadership because they hadn't accounted appropriately for something and there was some financial issues and the whole process just stopped dead in its tracks. See, what you can do when you trust one another is impossible when you don't trust one another. And when, when there's something that's impossible to do when there's no trust, it becomes possible when people start to trust and are trustworthy and can work together and do things. And Jesus seems to indicate that Christians are particularly vulnerable in this chaotic, unhelpful environment. Um, one of the bizarre features is Jesus seems to indicate that you'll run the risk of being hated by all people. And I want to put to you that that's not an easy thing. It's not easy to be hated by all people because we are prone to hold fast to groups, to partisan groups, right? You're either one of those or you're one of those. In our two or three party preferred system, you vote this way, this way or this way. You know, you, in theological circles, you can be a, a liberal or a um, conservative or, you know, all these things. We have our partisan groups and we gather with our people and it's actually very difficult to be hated by all people. Be hated by half the people, yes, the other side, but not all people, surely. To be hated by all people, you have to decide to be non-partisan. That is, to not hold a prior commitment to one side or the other so that both sides have the opportunity to see you as a friend or an enemy. Partisanship unavoidably involves an oversimplification of the issues and we support things that benefit our group 
and we reject things that threaten our group's agenda, we oversimplify the issues. You can see that in every single issue, I reckon. You have to dumb it down to make it cut through and all this sort of stuff. In a world that's lost interest in reason and truth, or not as interested in reason and truth, there is the execution of partisan agenda that is almost always the goal of a debate. And the Christian voice, at its best, is a voice of compassionate reason, a voice that does not favour one partisan group project over another, a voice that will get you into the most trouble with the most people every time. So Jesus says, don't be surprised if you, get, if you find yourself in some trouble. It's very likely to happen. It has happened all the way down through history. It will be, it's happening right now and it will happen in the future. And it's interesting to think about the way court systems work today. If you know anything about it or if you watched, um, what are those court shows? Uh, Special Victims Unit or something? Judge Judy? Judge Judy I don't know. Maybe not Judge Judy so much. <laughs> Law and order. That's what I'm looking for. Law and order. Yeah. And what they do is they prepare witnesses. If you're going into a court case and your uh, lawyer wants you to make a very compelling story and so they'll actually prepare you. They'll say, so what's your story? Come and tell it to me. Now, don't say that so much. When you get to hear, pause for a moment. And they prepare the witnesses, right? You've got to make a good statement in your court case because you want to be as compelling and persuasive as possible. And Jesus recommends you don't do that. Don't do that. Don't prepare a case. Don't be ready to testify. Don't make it up. Answer the question honestly, fully, vulnerably. The Spirit of God will give you the words to say because you've got nothing to hide and the person that has nothing to hide is the freest and most eloquent person of all. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. We speak truth in love. Do that without reserve. You will be so eloquent that people will not have a response to you. Don't go in with a, a pre-made-up version that defends you and protects you. Speak the truth in love and that will see you through. So what do you do in a world that is most interested in enlisting you for their particular partisan project or agenda and rejecting you if you don't enlist with them? You keep following the way of Jesus. And this will sometimes win you friends and sometimes lose you friends. And more than anything, it will reveal what true friendship is about. And there's a paradox in these things from Jesus because he says all sorts of people will turn against you from your parents to your brothers and sisters to your partner. Wow. That's so... I don't know. And he says, some of you will be put to death. That's pretty extreme, right? Some of you will be put to death, and yet not a hair on your head will be harmed. How does that work? Somehow, even in the midst of experiencing death, there is a non-perishableness about faithful discipleship. See, we do not follow Jesus as a way to please others or to win an argument 
or to get others on side for something. We follow Jesus because we are held by a conviction in regard to who he is. We call him Lord and Saviour. And perseverance under the most challenging of circumstances is one of the ways that faithfulness becomes absolutely clear. And Jesus encourages us to just keep going no matter what. So, in essence, this little passage is a warning. Not designed to make us fearful, but it's designed to strengthen our resolve. Jesus is saying, this is the way the world is. Don't be surprised by it. Don't be put off by it. Know these things, they're not just coming. They've always been coming. They've always been with us. Expect them. Don't be shocked. Don't be thrown off. The course of life remains the same. Stay faithful to that which does not change with the prevailing politics or the opinion polls. Stay faithful to that which is eternally good and true. Stay faithful to Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you are not a stone building. You are a living building made out of us, the living stones. We thank you that although other things do crumble and change and sometimes we're not sure what's going on, you are faithful and your way of self-giving love is the way of life and that does not change. Help us to lean into you and to serve the world no matter what circumstances confront us. To the glory of your name. Amen.